Amen. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter there, towards the end of your Bible. If you need a Bible, they're provided for you there in the seats around you. 2 Peter chapter 3, we continue our journey through this book of Holy Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. This is the word of the living God, and we say thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, O Lord, we ask that by the preaching of your word this morning, you may incline the hearts of your people to hear, to be encouraged, to be convicted, to look to that day that is to come. We pray for any who are here who do not know Christ, that in the preaching of his precious word, the sweet words of gospel invitation would grip their souls by the Holy Spirit's power. We pray that you would help us that truly the preaching of the word of Christ may be the word of Christ to his sheep this day. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a variety of events in the human life which are big, which require preparation. You could think, for instance, of weddings, graduation ceremonies, big events like an inauguration of a world leader or something of that matter. And what's interesting is when we, when we consider these events... There's the event itself, but then there is the long time before it preparing for the day to come. It's almost as if the event requires much preparation. We see such a picture in 2 Peter 3 this morning. The great day, the greatest of all days, the biggest of all events is discussed The one that for two and a half chapters, Peter has been encouraging his readers to know will come. You're just joining us. The Apostle Peter is having to address believers in the early first century because he knows that false teachers will come and they will say two things. The event hasn't happened yet, so stop living your life as as if it will happen. And therefore, don't worry about pursuing holiness. So Peter is saying, no, that great day of Christ's return will come. And you ought to consider what manner of persons you ought to be in conduct and godliness. So I want us to look at this text this morning under those two headings, the day or the event, and secondly, how to prepare for it. Firstly then, the day. Notice what Peter says in verse 10 of chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come. If you were to read this in the original language in the Greek, you would see that the phrase will come is the very first phrase. In Greek, you can move words around. 
to emphasize importance. Peter says, will come the day. That's been his argument all along, hasn't it? They're telling you it won't come, but it will come. But what day will come? Well, Peter says, it's the day of the Lord. Now, this day is called a variety of things throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. Let me give you just a couple of examples. You could turn there or hear it read, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say similar words to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what he says there. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Or how about John in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, there we read this speaking of the unfolding times of history. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. The day of God Almighty. The day of Christ. The day of judgment. This is the day that Peter says it will come. But notice what he says about the day. This event This event of all events. Not only will the day come, but it will come in a particular way. It will come as a thief in the night. Peter is meaning to signal here that it will come quickly and unexpectedly. It will not be a day that Christians will usher in with some kind of golden age of sanctification when we will all know that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will come. No, it will come quickly as a thief in the night comes unexpectedly and without notice. Paul says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2. So the day will come and it will come quickly, Peter says. But then he tells us about this day. Notice what he says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What is meant here by Peter? Well, I think Peter is signaling the reality that when this day comes like a thief in the night, the present construction and order of this entire world and universe will cease to be. What do we see in the final pages of Scripture in Revelation 21, verse 1? I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down, prepared as a bride. Same idea is used in Matthew 24, verse 35, Luke 16, 17, Matthew 5, 18. In fact, turn over just for a moment to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 24. Because Peter, James, Paul, and the Lord Jesus Christ are all in harmony 
and pointing to this day, Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But what is meant by the heavens and the earth will pass away? Again, I think it's best to understand this as pointing to the reality that the way that the world works, the way that the world is, will be utterly remade. The present construction and order of this world will cease to be. But it's not just the New Testament writers who have pointed to this. History itself, even from the days of the prophets of old, has pointed to this. Turn over to Isaiah. Isaiah 34. There we see the Old Testament prophet pointing to this very same reality. Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, verse 4, there we read this, All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. We sing that lyric regularly, don't we? The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down, Isaiah says, and as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. The entire message of Scripture, points to Christ, His work, and His final coming in which the heavens and the earth will pass away. And notice what Peter says next. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt. These are the basic building blocks of the earth. Now, some interpreters, some scholars think that what is in view here is the elements of the heavens, the heavens itself, the stars, the planets, But I think Peter gives us even more information, doesn't he? When he says, both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The earth, meaning the order of things. The air of Babylon in which we live. The sinfulness of man. The construction of the world and its resources to glory in man instead of the living God. That will be destroyed. The works, well, that's men's work. Men's work. Ways. Think about the way that the world is right now, beloved. We need look no further than any newscast to see people glorying in shameful things. To see people seeking to build a name for themselves. The Tower of Babel is happening every day in this world. And this will all melt and be dissolved. This was really in some sense also the view of the early church. Listen to the writings from 2 Clement chapter 16. This is probably the oldest writing from the early church that we have aside from the scriptures. But ye know that the day of judgment comes even now as a burning oven and the powers of the heavens shall melt and all the earth as lead melting on the fire and then shall appear the secret and open works men. You see, when metal is burned, you begin to see the impurities, don't you? Now here is a debate. We'll linger here for just a moment because every one of us perhaps is wondering, is this saying that the entire world will be completely annihilated, done away with, and that there will be an absolutely brand new earth? 
Or is this saying that the earth as we know it will be completely purified and remade such that there will be a renewed earth? I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, for several reasons that I don't believe that Peter has in view, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, an absolutely new earth that has no connection to this current one, but rather the idea that this earth on which we stand will be completely purified of all its impurities and that the earth itself will be renewed. There are several reasons for that. Firstly, Peter says, what? The earth and the works in it will be burned up. Often in the pages of Scripture, fire is used as a sign of purification, isn't it? It will be purified in the fire that Christ brings when he comes. Secondly, Scripture itself points to a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1, where there the word could very well mean renewed, new to us. But brothers and sisters, if we interpret Scripture with Scripture, do you remember what Paul says about the earth and about us in Romans chapter 8? Turn there with me. Interestingly enough, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we're waiting and that the earth is waiting. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Christians, he's saying, who have the Holy Spirit in them, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. You need to understand, friend, that Christianity is not simply a religion. It is the message that Christ died for sinners. Human beings, each one of us, who've rebelled against a holy and righteous God. But the work of Christ is not simply and only the saving of souls from the pit of hell. But it is a cosmic renewal of all things. Can you imagine the glorious day when this renewed and remade and purified earth, which is no longer groaning and no longer under the curse, sees the first few footsteps of sinless human after sinless human for all of eternity? Creation is groaning, waiting for what? the revealing of you and me to be seen who we are already in Christ, yet lacking the resurrection body. So I think as we look at what Peter says in connection with what Paul says, it would make no sense for the creation to be groaning, waiting for the day when it will be absolutely destroyed, but waiting for the curse to be renewed. He rules the world with truth and grace. 
and he will spread his work and grace far as the curse is found. But in addition to this, there have been a variety of opinions through the history of the church. Puritans like Matthew Poole follow this view. Reformed Baptists like John Gill follow this view. Early church fathers like Eusebius, the writer of that great history of the church, listen to what he says commenting on this passage. Quote, like a cloak, everybody grows old with time. But although it grows old, it will be renewed again by your divine will, O Lord. The heavens will not be destroyed, but rather they will be changed into something better. In the same way, our bodies are not destroyed in order to disappear altogether, but in order to be renewed in an indestructible state. It's as if the great carpenter that is our Christ is going to take this entire building all the way down to its frame and rebuild it and remake it in an instant, like a thief in the night, and all will know, for the scripture says what? It will come with a great noise. Creation will cease its groaning. We ourselves will cease our groaning, and we will be, as we've sung already this day, face to face with the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the true and final and second Adam, and we are in him by faith. Are we not believers? This is a cosmic reality. Peter speaks of it. All the ways of this world will be purified and burned up and dissolved. And creation will be renewed. Your body will be renewed. Don't we already have the hope of that? Christ Jesus, the Lord, owns every single cemetery plot of every believer that's ever lived. And he will open them one day. And in an instant, every last believer will rise. Their souls join with their body and they will walk on this new and renewed earth. A new earth and a new heaven with the King of kings and Lord of lords who spread his arms wide and paid the price for their sins. This is the day. This is the day. But as we said, big events require much consideration and preparation, do they not? So we've considered the day. Now let's consider, secondly, how Peter calls us to prepare. Look at verse 11. Therefore, aren't the apostles writing under the inspiration kind? They give us a doctrine and then they use the words therefore all over the scripture. Therefore, here's where the rubber meets the road for you, Christian. Here's what you need to do or know or see. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now Peter gives application. He says, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Don't listen to the false teachers, Peter says, who will come generation after generation after generation they will even rise up from within your churches and try to convince you that Christ hasn't come where is the promise of his coming just seek to live the best that you can and don't worry about the claims of holiness upon the life of the Christian he's saying the day will come therefore because all the wickedness of this world and the designs of men will be dissolved and burned away how ought you to be as you wait 
The dissolution of the current order of the world and the works of men on it ought to drive how we live now. Said differently, if King Jesus, who is ruling and reigning now, is coming to blot out all of the ways of this world, why do we fiddle and mess around with the ways of this world? We belong to him. We belong to him. He has purchased us. We belong to his kingdom. And very soon, his kingdom will be seen by all. There will not be a single ruler in this world who will be able to raise his or her fist in the face of King Jesus. There will be no one who will be able to deny that he is who he's always claimed to be. There will not be one sinner who will be able to stand in his pristine presence and say, I can do this in my own righteousness. No thank you to your gospel. In an instant, everyone will see a cosmos transformed, believers looking pristinely like their Savior, marching with him day after day after day. The world will be renewed and made new. So he says, consider then, and he uses two phrases. What manner of persons ought you to be in, number one, holy conduct, number two, godliness? Now, that's the English translation. It's the best one we've got because technically, in the original language, those two phrases are in the plural. So, so technically, Peter is saying, what kind of persons you ought to be in holy conducts and godlinesses? It's almost as if he's saying, your whole life ought to be a collection of holy conducts, of godlinesses. If you were with us when we walked through 1 Peter and now 2 Peter, you remember that the word for conduct is Peter's regular theme. We won't turn there, but just listen to the verses in which the theme of holy conduct is given. 1 Peter 1.15, 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 2.12, 1 Peter 3.1 and 2, 1 Peter 3.16, 2 Peter 2.7, 2 Peter 3.11. It's almost as if Peter is saying we are saved by the glorious grace of Christ that we may live lives of holy conduct. Now let me speak to some of you who may be visiting with us today. Or maybe you're checking out the things of Christianity. You need to understand that the Bible never says to you that you will be saved from your sins and you will go to heaven because you do good works. The Bible nowhere in the Old or the New Testament properly understood tells you that you will get to go to heaven because you've tried hard to be a good person. You see, Peter speaks a lot about holy living, but he always starts the conversation with Christ and him crucified for sinners. Holy conduct is not possible outside of Jesus Christ. You have to come to the place where you understand that you are a sinner, that you are under God's divine justice, that God's wrath, his holy movement, if you will, towards sin is bent on you, but that God in his love and mercy has sent his son, the eternal son of God, who put on flesh, who lived a life that we are supposed to live, never sinning, who died and as he died took the full weight of punishment for all the people who would ever trust in him. And the glorious news of Christianity is that God offers to any who will come to Christ full and complete pardon 
Christ has made atonement for sin. And he's brought sinful, cursed, and dead humanity out of the grave. And any one of you, listen, any one of you this day in the hearing of the preaching of the word who look on Christ and believe that he is the Savior, that he is your only hope, will be saved. And then, Peter says, because of being saved, you're waiting a day when the one who saved you comes right before you. So live your life increasingly by his spirit in a way that's preparing for that day. So don't think, friend, that Christianity is a message of cleaning yourself up. In fact, let me just make a bold statement to you. Perhaps you've never heard it this way. You cannot clean yourself up. You may shift in how you sin. You may leave one addiction only to find another. But you will not be free from the chains of sin unless Christ frees you. So come to Christ. There's not a single person who cannot be saved by the blood of the Lamb. And then, Christian, the Scripture says, as you wait for the day, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. What do you do when you have a wedding? There's all kinds of things that you prepare for. What food will we eat? What kind of flowers? Are we going to sing in the service or not? Some of you know that my family had a big event just a few months ago. The day was coming, and it was all but settled, but there was a lot of preparation. How are we going to get there? How many pages of a book do I need to get printed? All of these kinds of things. Well, Peter tells us that our preparation for the day of Christ's return is to live lives of holy conduct and godliness. Now look at verse 13. Peter says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So part of the preparation is looking for the promise of the day. This is also the report of the Old Testament in addition to the new. Isaiah 66.22 points to this new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21.1, Revelation 21.27. The scripture is full of references to the new heaven and the new earth which come through Christ. But what does this looking look like? Let's close with that. If we're to ask ourselves, how, to, how do we live lives of holiness and godliness? Well, we look at the law of God, which we were breakers of, that condemned us, that caused us to run to Christ. We take that same law and we seek to live it out by his spirit. In fact, isn't that part of the new covenant that God will put his law in our hearts and cause us to delight in it and love it? Well, that's how we pursue holy conduct and godliness as believers. But what does it look like to look for the day? Just a couple of thoughts as we close. Number one, for the Christian reading these words of Peter, there is hope amidst coming judgment for the person who trusts in Jesus. Just this past Lord's Day evening, we looked at a passage of Scripture from the book of Revelation, and it was a very heavy passage, was it not? The reality that sinful rulers, sinful people outside of Christ, 
who've rejected Christ, who've raised their fist in the face of Christ, who've rejected his offer of mercy and grace, will be utterly judged. But as you read this passage, how are believers described? Preparing for the day that they can't wait for. You think you were excited the weeks and months before your wedding day, married one? That's nothing, nothing compared to the day when Christ comes. Shouldn't our expectation be one of joy? But we, we can have joy in the midst of this coming day because we are free from the judgment that is coming upon the world. John 3, 16 and 17. We are those who have eternal life who will not perish because we've believed in the Son. And the Son has borne our sins. So there's hope. That's part of what looking for this day looks like. You have hope that every single day as you exit your house and you look over the horizon, will today be the day? Will today be the day? When you love in the midst of the horrendous news reports of the Middle East to be greeted with the great triumphant noise, the trumpet of an archangel and Christ our King comes into the midst of all the garbage of this world. Will today be the day? There's hope for us. But secondly, there's the reminder. Looking means we're constantly reminded of this. This current world and its order is not our home. We're just, as others have said in previous generations, passing through. You see, the way that this world is, is not our home. You ever been in a foreign country or just a foreign state? Our country's big enough that some states feel, well, like foreign countries to me. Well... The way that this current world is, is not our home. And this passage and others like it remind us, don't get too comfortable here. Don't seek to spend all of your energy getting the leaders of this current world to like you. To get the riches of this world given to you. They will burn. They will be dissolved. Don't live your life as if Babylon is your home. Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem will come crashing into Babylon and it will be destroyed. Well, notice what else Peter says. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you know that one of the joys we have as we ponder, as we meditate upon the day of Christ's return, is that even though we live in a world that's currently full of evil, the world to come will be completely righteous. In fact, the scripture says righteousness will dwell there. Because Christ will be there. But you and I are united to him, are we not? There will not be a single act of sin committed for all of eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. Just think about that. You, you can't even take that in, can you? And, and think about the fact that if you're honest with yourself, you have your own wrestlings with sin, do you not? If you're seeking to follow after Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit, you just see more and more sins that need to be mortified. 
More and more sins that need to be confessed. It's as if the Lord is preparing you for that day, is he not? He's slowly, throughout this lifetime of sanctification, cleaning you out. The sins have already been paid for. But they're slowly, by his grace and his timetable, being put down. There will come a day when you will not be in the process of sanctification anymore. You will be glorified. You will be fully set apart. You will not look out your window and wonder what crimes against humanity will be committed today. You will not have to flip on the news and think to yourself, what trash do I have to protect myself and my kids from today? No, no, no. Righteousness dwells there. The old hymn writer would say, in Emmanuel's land. That's what it means to look. You love this world less and less. You love the things of this world less and less because they're fleeting and they don't satisfy. But perhaps a more practical application, at least for some of us, if you haven't picked up on this yet in your reading of Scripture, a final application as you look for the day is to remember that the future is not just spiritual but physical as well. You see, a lot of people, they think that Christians believe that we're going to die and our souls are going to go to heaven and float on clouds forever. It's not what the Bible says. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Your soul, Christian, is going to be rejoined to your body. You're not going to be bodiless throughout all of eternity. Neither will you be floating in this mystical kind of cloud world. Your soul does not become an angel when you die, boys and girls. You are a human. You're not an angel. The angels are angels, and we are human. They don't become us. We don't become them. No. At the moment that you die as a believer, your body goes to be with Christ. Your your soul goes to be with Christ, and your body is put in the ground. There will come a day when Christ will return, and he will raise your body. 1 Corinthians 15. Your soul and your body will be rejoined and you will be with Christ forever. In fact, Christ has a resurrected physical human body now. You will as well. This has been the testimony of the church. What do we say in our enshrined creeds as it were? I believe in what? The resurrection of the body. Where will your raised body united with your soul walk for all of eternity? the new heaven and the new earth. This is the testimony of the church. One church father, Andreas, writing in the 600s, says this, It is not just we, says Peter, but the whole creation around us also, which will be changed for the better. For the creation will share in our glory, just as it has been subjected to destruction and corruption because of us. Either way, it shares our fate. You see, part of the reason why Peter is going to say with Paul in a day when false teachers, probably the Gnostics, were saying what you do with your body doesn't matter, he's going to say, no, 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 your body is going to be raised He's going to join in with Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6? Don't join your body to a prostitute. Why? Because your body belongs to who? 
Jesus, and he will raise it up. Holiness in soul and in body is the call of, Christ, of the Christian. Because Christ didn't come just to save your soul, but to redeem the total man and woman. So Peter is going to say, the day's coming, and here's how you should prepare for it. Brothers and sisters, let us hearken unto these things. Let us look to Christ, the one who has come, who has died for our sins, who was raised, who is ascended, who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But let us look to the one who is what? Coming again. Do you remember the word of the angel testimony to those who first came and saw his empty tomb? Those who were standing there as Christ ascended and the, the word of heaven was what? He will come again just as you have seen him go. This is our hope. And it fuels, it fuels our living. Listen, this week, when you feel tempted from within or from the enemy, Lay down your godlinesses. Lay down your holy conducts. Just tease this little sin. Just play with it just a little bit, Satan will say. He doesn't have to whisper too much in our ears because we do that well enough in our own strength. But when you feel tempted, yes, look back on the cross of Christ who died to pay for all your sins, past, present, and future. But ask yourself this. Do I want to be dabbling in this thing if now is the moment he comes? Peter would say, let his coming fuel your current living. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you that we have the glorious hope of the day. The day of Christ Jesus, the day of the Lord God Almighty. We pray that it would fuel how we live our lives that we would put down the words of the false teachers of this world when they say that he's not coming. When they say, live for now, not for then. Help us, O oh Lord, to look to Christ. And when the world doesn't see it, we see it by faith given to us by the Spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. Strengthen your saints. Press us into holinesses and godly conducts for the glory of Christ. Oh Lord, we, we pray that the fleeting pleasures and the air of the Babylon in which we live would become much less important to our eyes and to our souls because we're living for a greater earth to come with a king who reigns in righteousness. Lord, change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.